Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listening to Blackcast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes app put on the BC. Podcast on, no talking to me. Listening to Blackcast. Keep up on comics and movies. New phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listening to Blackcast. Don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass I'm kissing. Listen into Blackcast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen into Blackcast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen into Blackcast. Met this girl, she smiled in my face Black cast in Chile to my place Had one beer, she brought a whole case Listen into Black Cast Cops knock on the door and listen Black cast on, they think I'm Christian Cops ran off, now I ain't trippin' Listen into Black Cast My point is, listen to this show Don't need me to tell you it's dope Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgow Listen into Black Cast Oh yeah, that's the Black Cast, it's on the Ghost Twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on AfterBuzz TV, that's right. That's that guy, Christian, you rock! Alright, several taxes had to go take care of some business. But I'm here to say, have a nice day. And listen to the damn show. Welcome to the black cast another day another black cast that's right episode 404 404 error message winding down our week-long celebration of our 400th episode with a couple more interviews first up i'm going to chat with musician mike mostert about a project he's working on called in theory then you'll hear me chat with eric the trainer and michael kroger of nickelback about a band they've put together called main monster so let's get right to it let's get it started with our first guest joining me now is mike mostert who is the guitarist for in theory they have a great new song out there called heroes welcome to the show mike thanks for taking the time to chat with me today no i appreciate it. thank you thank you for making the time for us i really appreciate it yeah uh now uh reading a little bit up on you guys i know that you personally you spend time between uh, la new york and muscle shoals alabama now that seems like that's probably under normal circumstances have you kind of been hunkered down in one place the last few months or have you still been kind of floating between the the few places May, well my my mainly is, it's muscle shoals for the most part and um you know and secondary would be you know ventura california would be my secondary but my main residence is in the Muscle Shoals. And I'm sure if you know what Muscle Shoals is, you know, the, fa- the famous music city, but. Um, yeah, no, it's a, I mean, I think that for me, just personally, you know, I was always a little bit more of a, of a hard rock and I don't want to say heavy metal, but more of like a hard rock guy, but I definitely know, you know, like it makes me think of like, you know, the Almond Brothers and kind of oh, yeah. that's, that sound. So that's what I always associate with Muscle Shoals, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it's kind of like some of the newer bands have been doing stuff here as well. I mean, like Rival Sons, they, they, sure. a they just did their last record here. And Steven Tyler's been doing stuff down here. And, you know, so um, some of the hard rock guys are discovering this place. 
Well, yeah. And I mean, it's like, obviously you also, you'll hear about just, you know, a ton of hard rock guys that live in Nashville now too, you know? So all of a sudden these, these Southern rocks, last country cities, all of a sudden it's like, well, no, they're just great music cities, you know? And I'm sure that there's great studios that come there and, and, you know, I can hear a little bit of that reflected in the song, but talk a little bit about just all the different kinds of music that uh, influenced you as you were, you know, sort of developing your style and how to well, play. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, uh, growing up, I mean, I'm, I'm a hard rock guy, you know, and, and uh, you know, when I, from getting my first Kiss record and Aerosmith right. Hard Rocks record, Angel record, UFO, that was like my, sure. my go-to triumph. I mean, those were my, my guys when 14 years old, 15 years old. And, um, so that's that's my my background, and when I finally you know was trying to make it in music in, at uh, you know at a young age, definitely Ingve was a big influence way, oh, yeah. way back, you know, and um, then you know the hair started growing out, and then you know by the time we got started, I had the what I called my official rock helmet, aquanetted out, my hair was past the waist, <laughs> and so that that's that's my musical influence was was that and. It was really such a um, a very unique road to get where I am now, and um, you know. So anyway, so in, in the early '90s, I was signed to EMI Records with, with Tony in a band called yeah. Big Mouth, and um, and at the time, you know, I I knew I was not going to make it in music, and so I just immersed myself in my companies, and you know, GoGo was one of the companies. And that, that was really my focus. And then every once in a while, I would do a, a project um, for film or for TV, but it was not my focus. And Tony and I have probably done um, maybe, did I lose you? Maybe, maybe we've yeah, done no, about like I could 20, hear you the whole time, yeah. Uh, we, we've maybe done about um, 20 films and, and TV shows, anyway, from you know, uh, you know, HBO and Showtime to NBC and some, some major uh, t- um, films and so. But it was something that I wasn't really pursuing anymore. I was just focusing on, on my businesses. And again, I thought it was, you know, I'm not sure if you're a person that believes in, in fate or things happen or things happen for a reason or you make your own luck or, uh, but the last thing I was expecting uh, was to get back into music. I feel it's like the Godfather saying, you know, you thought you're out, but they bring you back in. Right, of course. <laughs> and by accident, I was in New York about, maybe it was about five years ago it was it was about five years ago and a friend of mine was playing and i went to see him at three in the morning and i really don't know <laughs> i always make a little bit of a joke i'm not sure if it was the jack daniels if it was three <laughs> in the morning or the fact that him and i never really had a, a deep conversation of any sort so a lot of it was you know just buds just you know it's a lot of surface talk nothing really like deep and i went to say hey great show and he comes up to me he goes so still playing guitar and i gave him the bull answer i go oh yeah i'm still playing he goes mike (laughs) you really have to play guitar it's why you got in the business it's who you are it's a part of your soul and i'm like okay like wow okay but my business had still switched on me because the products i make is for musicians i make you know i created a company called go go tuners i make music tuners for some of the biggest bands on the planet and, and um, so my thinking was, you know what? It'll be really good for the musicians to know that I'm just not an inventor. I'm not a tinkerer. I'm actually, I designed my products as a musician for a musician. 
So that was sort of my, okay, I, you know, that's what was my thinking. And I knew I had an interview about four months out and originally I was going to have an artist do it with me. And I really thought about it and I go, you know what? I should be the guy playing guitar, not this artist. So for four months straight, I practiced from one in the morning to four in the morning so I could sound good for 75 seconds. And then my first coming out was to play on Fox TV in front of about 20 million people. That was my first, there you go, Mike, Mike is taking a step back into the music. Yeah. And then the other thing I was doing with the uh, go-go artists, I would interview them, but I would also play one song with them, or sometimes two songs, and it would give me 20 days or 30 days to learn their song. And again, I want to do their songs justice. And, and the thing is, I wanted to be respected as a musician. I didn't want to be like, oh, it's kind of cute to let the CEO play. I wanted to be respected as well. So it, I would prepare each interview, and I was doing more and more of those. And then I started getting invited through the country. Hey, come and be our guest guitar player, like all these different events. And then I started doing my own events where I was the house band. And it was just a progression and progression. And then finally, um, it was exactly two years ago in, in May. So, and, it's, and it's never been done in the music retail industry. Like if, with all the big companies, I'm thinking like, you know, you got Fender and Gibson, you know, TC Electronics, like Roland, like the biggest guys on the planet. No one's ever done a roster record with their artists. So since I had so, so many high profile artists and I'm very close with them, I was like, you know, I want to make a, a you know, an artist record. And I was thinking maybe I'll play a little guitar here, a little guitar there. And I started going down the list. Hey, you know, you want to play, you want to play. I got to the seventh or eighth person and they're like, well, why don't we write? And then another light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, okay, well, not only am I going to write, <laughs> I end up writing, co-writing every song, sharing guitar duties on every song, and then producing the entire record. And, it, and that one was a big journey because I recorded that New York, Philly, Muscle Shoals, Nashville, Virginia, Hollywood, Ventura, Mexico, like all over. Because uh, I set a goal, I want to get this done in one year. It took me one year and three days to get this done. <laughs> and, um, and when we put that record out, a hard rock band in theory is, you know, emerged out of that. And of course I had to bring Tony back in, you know, for that record. Cause you know, Tony, Tony and I have always been brother in arms and not only in friendship, but in music as well. So it does seem like if I'm going to come back in, into it, he's the most logical guy as well. So I had Tony on three songs on the record doing the hard rock stuff. And I put one old big mouth record, one big mouth song that we never released when we were on EMI and then two in theory songs that we wrote. And you know, th the thought process was that was, how would Tony and I write music in 2020, you know, 2020 or 2019 or the new hard rock band? And that was our first foray, it was on the Go-Go record. And from that, the, the record did quite well. And we got a lot of you know, press and a lot of, um, just a lot of people love that band. So Tony and I wanted to take it one step further to where we are now with, with this single that we just, uh, that you probably heard the new single, Heroes. Yeah, Heroes, for and, sure. And um, with, with the style that we're doing now, <clears throat> I felt like the Go-Go record was, it was really good. It was, it, was, it was good, it was really good. But I wanted to make somewhere, not on a conceited level, but I wanted to put somewhere I felt it was great. Like it could be, so on, on the level of everybody else. You know, not, not necessarily better than everybody, but 
you know saying to to be on a same level to be on a high level uh, of what we're doing and um so what what happened and, and this is where the pandemic was a, a silver lining originally i was just going to bring tony down to muscle shoals we were going to do like old school like zeppelin re recording where everybody's in the same room but you have the baffles up and but you're feeding off each other's energy like a really old sure, school yeah. recording and because of the pandemic tony couldn't uh, make it down and uh that plan i had to throw out <laughs> throw out the, the the window and the blessing in disguise was i just want to become the best musician i could ever be and writer and a producer so every day i immerse myself i mean doing 10 12 hours a day just anything i could learn like any style like oh what is that guitar player doing here how did they produce this Who's and I just started like studying and studying and I wrote something like 60 or 70 songs. I have a notebook of 70 songs and I just was writing and writing and just getting better at my craft. And when I felt I had enough ideas, so I ran it by Tony, I go, you know, and I had Tony do his thing. And then boy, did I push Tony, you know, and I felt there's many times I make that joke that Tony was going to choke me through Zoom or, or, uh, <laughs> or through the phone because I also wanted Tony to be great as well. And I think the fact, I mean, and I'm not exaggerating, he was probably, he probably did almost 200 takes per song. And it wasn't because of performance, I wanted to capture something, you know, in, in his vocal. And, and, and I studied like every little line, like, no, you gotta do the vibrato like this, no, this word's not right, this one you gotta, you know, do less vibrato, keep it straight, do, like every little thing. And, um, you know, and I think the result speaks for itself. I mean, one of the biggest reactions, especially for the people that like Big Mouth or follow, in theory, from the Go-Go record, even from DJs and producers and people that have heard that stuff, they still like, is that Tony singing? Is who, who is that? Is that Tony? You know, and, um, and have people who don't know him are sort of really just blown away by the vocals. So I think the fact that he was singing 10 hours a day or recording 10 hours a day for almost three months straight gave him these a, a different level of, of chops you know so by the time the record came out i mean he he was on it yeah and obviously we're talking about uh tony covino is uh you know who does the vocals uh, for in theory and you know in reading the notes they kind of compare him i think they do a good job the, the press release you know compares him to both chris cornell and lane staley and i mean when you think about those two singers that's such a, a great range and you know i mean a lot of times look you read press releases and you're like yeah i guess so but i but but i think that that kind of nailed it talk about working with somebody who has you know, that kind of range. I mean, the highs can go so high, at least judging from this song, you know, so that must uh, yeah. be a lot of fun to work with, you know? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I, <laughs> like I, said, I pushed them so hard to, again, to be very cognizant of that because, you know, if somebody is so, has that range, a lot of times you want to put everything on overdrive, you know, so you have to be careful. I think if you go too far overdrive or you go too far, using a certain vibrato, it puts you in a different era. It puts you in a different style. And it's not what I want to do. I thought, I think he covers so much range with his, with his vocals that um, I want to really explore that with him. You know, like a Cornell. A Cornell could sing a ballad, a little raspy, but you know what? He can, 
you know, you take the early Soundgarden, he can rip it as well. And yeah, like, I mean, just stuff like, uh, stuff that's on Bad Motorfinger. I mean, obviously oh, all yeah. of it. Yeah, but there, right. that's, it, a lot of that is in the much higher register, you know, before you do, you, you get the, the sort of more soulful, like Black Hole Sun sort of stuff. And same thing with the, you know, Lane Staley, as high as he could go, I mean, he would, they would go pretty deep with him. So I think right. that's a, it's a, it's a great comparison. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more. The record you're talking about before, I guess the uh, official title is Mike Mostert and the Go-Go Tuners family. So that collection came out last year. And uh, was the song Heroes on that or there were different in theory songs? No, that was different in theory. And okay. it's actually was a complete, it was actually, that was going to be like the, a, a, a version of the hard rock band, but the bass player and the drummer, unfortunately, of that band had a business dealing and they, they're suing each other on outside oh business dealing. <laughs> and even though I love both those guys, I, you know, I just felt, you know, it was better to have, to to cut both you know yeah. ties with both of them because i didn't want to play favoritism to either or you know because i didn't want resentment and then also i didn't want to ruin the whatever there was there was a certain mojo going on with tony and i with the new songs that we were writing there was something special and so for yeah this, you don't you, know, you don't okay. want to get dragged into you know something where you don't want to you don't want to pick either of them you definitely can't have both of them i i think that makes sense and and you guys it seems to have been the nucleus you know you were talking about how you guys were on emi and the interesting thing i thought about that was EMI for all their success, it always seemed like they were kind of all over the place. You know, I mean, they would put out a Bowie record. They had Spice Girls and technically Vanilla Ice was one of their artists. I know that was SBK, but that's also EMI. So do you feel like that deal that you guys had, which was what I guess, I don't know, 25 some odd years ago, was, was it uh, just not a fit where they were focused on your kind of music? Uh, I was kind of interested in, in you know, how I mean, that work out. I, I really think it was just the, the timing, you know, it's, you know, obviously there's the era of the, you know, we call it like the hair band, you know, we, we were definitely a hair band. And as it was almost, as you know, when Nirvana and, you know, ironically sure. Soundgarden and all, Alice in Chains, all those guys came out pretty much overnight, all the hair guys were gone, you know, all the biggest yeah. guys. And we were lucky enough where we caught the tail end of it, but we were gone just as fast because we caught the tail end of it. So we, we just felt it was just really just a timing thing. Like if we were a year prior, two years prior, it would have been quite different, you know, but then I look at it as this way. It's a blessing in disguise that if, if we, if we would have been signed to you know, a couple of years earlier, I don't think we've been, I think we would have been still doing that same style of music. Sure. And I, I'm really enjoying the the growth that we you know, we're doing now because there's so many uh, what I call like making a great recipe. Like, you know, you take one tablespoon like a little Soundgarden, you take a little swampiness, you take a little you know, there's a little like Tom Morello, you take a little gospel bass, a little Muscle Shoals, and you take a little you know whatever Deep Purple, and you put it all into one style. And yeah. I think that's sort of what we're doing because you know like again tony's vocals makes it sound garnish or a little bit allison chains but if you but then also you're, we're incorporating stevie wonder's choir so you have this gospel choir countering tony you know yeah. and then if we add this guy his name's clayton ivy he's doing all the keys on the, on the song that you heard clayton is, is a muscle shoals legend he sold about 400 million records 
and soon if he plays one note, everybody in that world, in the R&B world or muscle shoulder world, they go, Clayton, like everybody knows. Even right. in the country world, I mean, he's, they know, I mean, it's within two notes, it's, it's him. And um, so to have a legend like him on it is, is amazing. But um, so, yeah, and, and then the bass player was sort of like a, a little bit of an accident as I was trying, like I said, I had all those notes of songs, I was itching to get into the studio. And I, I have a certain process of writing. So what I could do is once I have the ideas, I get in with the drum loop and I just start hearing what it actually sounds like compared to what it sounds like in my home versus what it sounds like in the studio is, is two different animals. And the engineer was so pandemic freaked out, he camped out. He was, he was not going to go to his studio. So he goes, but why don't you use my assistant? You know, he, he can help out. And I just wanted to get it done. I was like, cool. Well, yeah, well, sure. Bring him, you know, I'll, I'll do it with him. And um, I brought him down and sure enough, I'm doing the demos and I said, no, you know, I really could use some bass on it. He goes, well, I play a little bass. No, he plays a whole lot of bass, you know, and it <laughs> right. turns out he plays a little bit like John Paul Jones meets like the bass player from Stone Temple Pilots. And this kid, I call him the kid. Well, he's a kid. He's 23. Turns out he just won a Grammy for engineering the, uh, the rival son's last record for best rock. Okay. Record. Yeah. And he's, he's our bass player. Or on this day. Oh, that's great. And then the drummer on the song that you heard is the drummer from Missing Persons. So he's the guy who replaced Terry Bozio, and that's that's the lineup. So um, it's it's a quite it's a quite of a yeah. Of you know lineup. when when you were talking about the different mixture, the little bit of this, a little bit of that, I was thinking of an analogy that might on the surface seem like an insult, but uh, I I mean it as a as a compliment. It's like when you. Th- think about you know they always talk about kentucky fried chicken how there's these top secret 11 herbs and spices and when you think about it it's like that's kind of a lot you know and it's like when you get it exactly right so but it's just a little bit of this a little bit of that so you probably don't want to market yourself as the uh, kfc of of rock and roll but (laughs) there's something to be said for a mixture like that that uh, works out really well and yeah i mean just from the one song you do really hear uh, a lot of these, you know, these different uh, kinds of things. So, uh, so the song Heroes is out and uh, people can find it. Uh, it's, it's uh, in theory original, I think is the uh, Facebook page and just in theory band uh, is the website. Right. But uh, I, I, you know, sometimes these stories have really interesting uh, background and sometimes they don't, but uh, where does the name in theory come from? It was actually when we were rehearsing with the guys with the Go-Go record, the original version of the in theory. And just, and we were, we were just always joking in theory. Well, this will work in <laughs> right. theory. That will work. And we're like, Oh, that sounds like it'd be a good name for a band in theory. You know, it's, you know, so yeah. that's really how that came about. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had a feeling that it was something like, well, you know, in theory, the, uh, yeah, well, uh, not just in theory, uh, in actuality, the, uh, the song's great. So what's, uh, what's next now? It sounds like, you know, you have plenty of, uh, ideas. I'm going to assume there's uh, still a, a number of recordings and things. What... Yeah. Well, we, we, we have four songs in the can right now. Okay. Um, and then right now the, the plan is for the next, um, over the next 30 days, we'll release two more singles, and then before the end of the year, will be a full record. So right now, it's about four songs that are completed, and um, you know, very, each one's a little bit eclectic, but they still follow that same, you know, 
you know, I say there's a formula like KFC, but <laughs> now you're gonna have it throughout KFC. <laughs> no, by the way, yeah. I, I love fried chicken, but um, yeah. But meaning, meaning it there's, you know, I'm, I'm combining different influences where, like, it was really important to me not to go like, oh, they're going from hard rock. Oh, now they're adding a choir. Oh, now they're going to jazz. Oh, they're going, like, it had to be, like, a like if you're listening to like a verse, like. Oh yeah, there's a little this. Like you have to really listen closely. Like, oh yeah, there's a little southern thing in it. Oh, there is a little bit of gospel. Oh, there is sound. You know, there's. That's what I was trying to cover, and that's what I've been trying to do with all the songs. Just melding of the, just enough of each genre to make it really unique, and that's the response we're getting. It's it's kind of, even though you know the influences, it's a fresh style. Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, I don't know, I think it's, uh, it, it, it makes for an interesting sound when you have those different uh, influences, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you're talking sort of about the foundation of uh, the hard rock, you know, with the uh, KS Aerosmith, UFO, all those other bands you mentioned, I mean, that, you know, and then be, building on that for, you know, four decades or whatever, I think uh, that it definitely lends itself, uh, you know, sort of, Talking about some of that, I always wonder in terms of, you know, live performing, uh, who, whether it was your first concert or one of the earliest concerts, was there a point where you saw someone in particular and you were like, wow, I really feel like this is when I want to take up music? Or was it not even seeing somebody live? Was it just, you know, sitting in your room listening to some of those records? Or what makes you decide that that's, you know, for that point in your life, the path that you wanted to go on? Well, I think I always, I started really young at five years old. I started playing guitar. Um, but what really like, you know, souped, souped up the engine, so to speak, was I saw Triumph Live. My brother took me to a concert. Wow. Um, I was 14 years old. I got to see him in, um, in Hempstead, New York. And I got first row, and then Rick Emmett gave me his guitar pick. I was 14 years old. Wow. And you can imagine as a 14-year-old, I'm like, oh, my God, Rick Emmett's guitar pick. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and of course, you know, Rick Emmett's just a monster guitar player. And that was it for me. I was like, yeah, this, you know, I, I would love to do this, you know. This, you know and, and then I, just, I worked pretty hard at it, you know. But uh, <laughs> that was it. And I think I was also fortunate enough that, you know, my brother was three years older than me. And, you know, when you're 14, they're 17. Or if you're 11 and they're, they're 14, they're a big influence on you. So he exposed me to, you know, Kiss and Aerosmith and Rush and all these bands, you know, early on. You know, and, you, know you, you want to emulate your brother. So I got to hear, like, all this stuff. And he was a bass player. And they, they would let me sit in with his, <coughs> they would let me sit in with his band, you know, as a teenager. And I'm sure, like, I messed up every single song. But they were always, they were, they were, but I was the younger brother. He let me like, all right, yeah. we'll let you play, you know, Slow Ride, or we'll let you play one Black Sabbath song. <laughs> uh, but they always, you know, I would sit there and watch them rehearse, but they would always let me play one song with them. And, you know, and that was cool. It was really nice of them to do that. Yeah, the, uh, you know, that impact is, uh, is definitely something I can relate to. My brother's five years older than me, but, 
you know, he, he had, uh, you know, just sort of when I was growing up, it was more like the, the early 80s. So he had uh, Kiss, uh, Lick It Up and Animal Eyes. So like those were like the first like records in my house. But then he also had like Metallica Masters of Puppets. And I think when I was a kid, I'm like, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand how you can listen to this. So I'm a little bit older, I get it. Maybe I wasn't angry enough to, to want something that loud. But, you know, I, I, I mean, the, the songs on those Kiss records, those were the first Kiss songs that I actually ever knew, which is kind of funny to think about, you know, now. Uh, but, you know, he, yeah, my brother had, and, you know, look at my dad had like an old record collection, you know, he had like all the Beatles and Stones records from the 70s. It's funny, my, my dad got married in 1974, and uh, I was born 1976. So his record collection goes right up until about 1973. And then he didn't have any new records. <laughs> but he had all the old ones. So, uh, you know, it was like, I'm like, oh, I think I like the Doors. Well, my dad had all six Doors records, you know? So it was, it was kind of like a really cool thing to uh, have that, you know, upstairs in my dad's room. And then my brother had some like hard rock and heavy metal records. So uh, yeah, just sort of what you have in the house. And you're talking about getting the pick. The first concert I ever saw was, uh, was Alice Cooper at the Ritz in New York in 1990. And I'm remembering, which I hadn't thought about in years, that uh, he does this thing where he takes his sword and he puts all this, this fake money on it that has his face on it. And then he like dangles it out and, you know, tries to get people to grab for it. And I remember I have one of those dollar bills with his face on it. So I didn't get a pick, but I have a dollar bill with Alice Cooper's well, face. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, but, it, and, and that is definitely, you know, when you can see anything that's theatrical, like the second concert I saw was Kiss also in 1990. So, you know, when you kind of see somebody who puts in, you know, look, I've seen bands where the, the guys just kind of wander around the stage and the music still sounds great and that's fun. But as a kid, seeing people that are that exciting, it, it helps make you more excited for the music, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so. Uh, so what is the, uh, the idea for doing live shows? Uh, are you going to put your face on money and dangle it out uh, over the crowd? Or? Well, 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 now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm going to bring buckets of KFC is what I'm doing. Well, look, I, I tell you, you can do the partnership, you know, the, 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 K, the KFC of rock and roll. But uh, obviously, you know, I know that there are shows. I mean, you're in Alabama, and I think that's a place that there are occasionally shows. I've heard of shows in Missouri and Colorado. Uh, is it something you're thinking about, or are you more looking towards 2021 to try and figure out, you know, doing any live performance? I, I think what I'd, what I'd like to do, because, yeah, and you're right, they are doing shows in Muscle Shoals. You know, even the the biggest clubs are, are open. You know, yeah. um, I I don't I really don't know how um, well they're adhering to social distancing. <laughs> sure. I'll leave it at that. They're in their own little world. Um, but also, like you know, like I said, when I go back to Cali, and and um, I just came back from Cali. You know, and um, there it's it's a little bit different. They're they're doing shows, but maybe they're doing you know hundred seaters or you know, 200 seater, you know, if you want called seaters, but since they're doing, there's no inside dining and usually they would have like a, a band inside, they're doing yeah. the bands outside, but there's a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of shows. And yeah. I live in, I live in Burbank and you mentioned uh, Ventura. I, I, I think the day after it, I regretted not going, but I, I saw that uh, Fishbone was doing like a drive-in show, I think up in Ventura. And I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I want to see a band from my car. But then it dawned on me. I'm like, wait, I'm not going to see a band at all if I don't go in my car, you know. And I've like gone out to the drive-in movies a couple of times because you know, movie theaters still aren't open here. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's definitely different, but it could be fun, you know. So 
I, I think that uh, if done right, it can certainly be a fun time, you know, to, to yeah, see, as long I as you can see they, the band, I think, you know? Yeah, I think if they incorporate, you know, I mean, honestly, I think if somebody was a, a marketing type of guy, you know, or the, obviously there's the music culture, you know, but if someone takes the football tailgating culture, yeah, you know, right, you got your pickup trucks, you got the band playing, you bring out the cooler, you bring out your grill, you're watching the band, everyone's sitting in their cars, in the truck. I, I think it would be like such a slam dunk. It'd be such a fun way to see a show. And I remember I, I did that with um, a guy from Slayer, Gary Holt. Mm. I was doing a clinic with Gary Holt, um, maybe it was five, six years ago in Camarillo. And we did it in an industrial park. It would almost be very fitting to, to these times. Maybe we were just ahead of our time. And we, we did a clinic with him yeah. and basically, <laughs> All, you know, as you know, it's, 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 in, in uh, Ventura County and in Oxnard, it is that culture with the lowriders and the pickup trucks, uh, you know, as, as you know. And if you add that with the, with the football tailgating and what's going on with the pandemic, but all of these people did is they all parked their cars, you know, um, reverse. And they had their pickup, same thing. They were taking out the grills, they were taking out the beers. And we all had, you know, had like several hundred people who were all watching Gary Holt do his clinic. And, you know, that, so that's why I think about that idea. And that was just an off the cuff idea. We just thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to do. And Gary just loved it. He was, he was going to the audience, taking the beers, just rah, and then play some music. <laughs> and, you know, I grabbed like a burger and then, you know, go yeah. back to doing it. It was great. And I think if they, and in Ventura, they've been doing, like you said, they're doing a lot of that in Ventura. Uh, like like the woman that um, sang a lot of backup on the in theory is uh, Lanisha. She's with Stevie Wonder's band and Jennifer Lopez. She's been doing I think almost um, every other weekend. She's been doing the drive, the driving gigs, and she's been doing uh, the driving gigs in Pasadena as well. So there is a lot of shows that that are happening, but I do think if we do the first one, I'd like to do it in Muscle Shoals, even though I technically do have one foot in Ventura. I mean. I still have a place near Main Street, you know, in Ventura, but my main residence is here in Muscle. I'm like right, I'm, you know, dead center of Muscle Shoals. And what's this really quickly, what happened is, or what's going on in Muscle Shoals is, you know, like in, I was going to say, like in the 70s, 80s, even up to the 90s, if you went to Manhattan or LA or any big city, um, you had all the major studios, right? A lot, or a lot of major studios. And now that technology has gotten so well, you can record an album really from your house. Sure. You yes. know? But what they've done in Muscle Shoals is they're rebuilding a lot of the original studios. So fame, they didn't touch, they left it how it is. So when you walk in there, it's still the same room where, you know, Etta James and Percy Sledge and, Almonds and all those guys, you know, did their records. They redid Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. They, they, uh, when we did a lot of the record East Avalon, someone came in from out of town, bought East Avalon, bought another studio called Widget. They were around in the early 70s. Cypress Moon, which was the orig original Muscle Shoals Sound, they, they're up and running. You also got um, Wishbone, which is owned by, I think, Billy Lawson, who's a, another Muscle Shoals legend and a country legend guy. His studio is up and going. So the guy is called the Ivy Mansion. 
his studio is going. The guy's from Cake, he just built a studio. So in the eight or nine mile radius, you have eight, eight to 10 major studios all running. So it's taking it back to like old school. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that's, that's kind of cool to, to see, you know, to, to be a part of. Yeah, you know, I remember a few years ago, I mean, it was the document of a record that they did, but uh, Dave Grohl did that documentary for HBO where they did that. Yeah, Foo yeah and they went to all the different, uh, they went to all the different uh, studios, you know, well, not all, but they went to a bunch of different famous studios throughout the country and you just, you know, could see being in a studio that has that sort of stuff, you know, you're going to get a specific sound. And I always thought it was kind of a, it's, it was kind of a cool idea to, you know, revisit some of those old studios. And yeah, I mean, they're all there. And uh, I think, I think that people can appreciate that, like, look, yeah, this kind of music sounds good there. That doesn't mean it's the only kind. So, you know, let's do that. And I think that that's, that's well evidenced from sort of the people you're talking about. So, I think it, uh, yeah, I think it'll be uh, great to kind of get a chance to go out there and uh, actually show off some of the songs. And I, I like the idea of putting out, you know, a few songs at a time seems to be what uh, people like to do. But a lot of people, I think, have been afraid to put out a, an album at any point in 2020. And I think that when albums have come out, it's like, oh, thank God there's something new to listen to, you know. So I think right. it'll be good to give people something because I also understand the other side of it. You know, people, bands want to promote albums when they can go out and tour for them and all that and they can't do that until next year at the earliest right. but i think as just a fan i like getting the new music now because uh, you know i'm home and there's only there's only so much netflix you can watch you know so right. it's great right. to uh, be able to put on the headphones well uh mike i appreciate you chatting with me and uh also really looking forward to hearing more from the band and uh hopefully the uh, the the album at the end of the year and Maybe maybe you'll be at the uh, fairgrounds in Ventura sometime next year or somewhere like that. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, you, I'll I'll be well, I'll be back in Cali soon anyway, in about ten days or so after the yeah. end of the month. I'm recording some stuff at the end of the month. I'm finishing up, uh, I think, two more in theory songs, but I'm also doing a record with um, the singer from Stevie Wonder as well. Oh, great! So, um, which is turning out to be weird. It's like if Phil Collins meets Alanis Morissette with a touch of, I don't know, like a little jazzy. <laughs> wow, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the intention, but we're doing this song and I think it's maybe my state of mind, you know, that I'm in. And there's a little bit of, uh, you know, like the, like the, there's a lot of songs I did with her early on, like with the Go-Go stuff and other stuff where it was a lot about like being in love and, and all that. And this, this other stuff right now is a little bit more like, you know, like early a lot, there's an anger to it. There's an angst yeah. to it. And uh, yeah. so um, it, it's a lot of fun, you know, but it's, it wasn't music that we were expecting to do. We were, like I said, we were trying to do some blues jazz stuff. And for some reason, the ideas were not flowing the way they normally do. And um, so I just detuned the guitar very much like Alice in Chains would do. I had an acoustic, we put a mic up and we wrote the song and it came out. Like acoustically, when it's just acoustic, it sounds like the recording from Allison Chains Unplugged, but with a female singer that has a ridiculous range. Yeah. But when we actually started putting vocals on her, like real vocals and her harmonies, it, you know, you, you got a little bit of like you said, like a, you know, Phil Collins meets a lot more set with the gospel with Tony Braxton and like wow, yeah, and because like, she's got that or Whitney Houston, like she's got that range that. 
like a Tony range. Yeah. So you go a little slow to that high, but the material is, is quite different. Well, I know not everybody loves the uh, unplugged style of music, but I always thought that, uh, you know, a lot of those came out as actual albums, those, those MTV unplugged shows and just hearing the songs arranged that way, like Nirvana is a good example, but there's, uh, you know, look, because it's what I grew up liking. I, I love the Kiss unplugged record because those oh, yeah. songs arranged like that and hearing them like that, you're like, oh, you don't realize how great these songs are until you hear them kind of deconstructed like that. And, you know, different kind of music but that version of ll cool j doing mama said knock you out on mtv unplugged was it was just like you know in that moment in time you're just like oh wait this isn't you know th they're these guys are all musicians it's not like all out of a computer you know and it was it was kind of a, a nice thing to see and especially when you listen to those in headphones you're hearing things you're like well, the record doesn't sound like that you know so yeah. I, I i always appreciate sort of that kind yeah. of comparison and, and that's so, it's funny that you said that because that's the philosophy i have with, with tony and every music that we're doing i go if it doesn't sound good being played on acoustic then the song is not going to be good i said i don't care if you put all the heavy guitars the biggest drums all the harmonies if it doesn't sound good deconstructed, it will never be a good song. So all these songs that you're hearing are actually written on a, on a six string or a 12 string. And okay. if I know if it sounds good on that, then I take it to the next level and I start building different parts on it. And, you know, cause I, I just really, I really believe that. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of that saying, like you can't put, you know, perfume on a pig, you know I mean? <laughs> you know, if it's not good to begin with, or if the foundation is weak, I don't care what you put on it, it's still gonna be weak. Where if it's you know, obviously a strong foundation, all the other stuff is just icing in it and it really, you can make a great song greater. And, um, and that's the philosophy we had, we had on it, you know? And like I said, that, that's one studio in Muscle Shoals, he, he's got that magic 12 string guitar. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, like, I have to, I don't know, I have to steal it from him or I have to buy it from him. <laughs> but that guitar has got, Matt, he has an old Martin 12 string Right. And um, two of the songs were written, that, that hero song was, was written on that by accident. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, I was working on a ballad, um, which is the third single, and the engineer, you know, sometimes they're, they're, they're doing their thing in the control room and whatever, the, whatever they're doing, sometimes it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes for them to do something. And I'm in the live room and I start doing that riff to heroes, the opening riff. I just start playing it. I'm like, this is a cool riff. And right on the spot, I wrote that entire song. If it's not exactly like 15 minutes, I wrote that song. Wow. Where all the other songs took me, you know, <laughs> four months, five months. <laughs> that one is like one of the accident songs. I mean, it literally took me about 15 minutes. And, you know, I mean, I went from idea to idea to idea, and then we put everything down the electrics and, um, as far as the initial idea, but then we, when we obviously had to put down the real guitars and all that, but, um, yeah, but well, yeah, it's interesting but when you, when you hear so often, you know, bands will talk about, you know, all the time they spend on, on an album, but like the, either the hit single or the main, you know, the best known song is usually the one that's like, Oh yeah, we wrote that in half an hour. You know, that's like a lot of times like that's the one. And sometimes, you know, it's right. like, like the Def Leppard story, right? With the pour some sugar on me. Was... Oh, right. That's exactly one of the ones I was thinking of. Yeah. That, right. that it's like, you know, you think about how much time and let's be honest, the millions of dollars they spent doing that hysteria record, but what's, what is their signature song as the whole band, you know, their best known Def Leppard song being pour some sugar, on me and it, it's so right. simple 
but that's why it's so great. You know, I mean, a, a song like, you know, I, I want you to want me it, by cheap trick is again, a really simple song, but it's, it, it just, it like lives in your head, you know, and I'm right. thinking of that song because, you know, you're kind of talking about reverse engineering sometimes to, uh, you know, to uh, acoustic, but then that's an example where it's like the, you, you never hear the studio version of I want you to want me. You always hear the live at Budokan version. You know, you right. usually hear rock and roll all night from Kiss a lot from Kiss Alive, not from uh, Dress to Kill. And I think that those unplugged sessions would, you know, Nirvana took some of their stuff from their first record, Bleach. And that stuff was all really loud, a lot of feedback, and it sounded great. But it, but like as acoustic, you're like, no, these are actually like beautiful songs. Like the song about a girl that I think people wouldn't have known if they didn't. Right. Do it there. right. And it I might agree. be sacrilege, but I'm going to say that their version of the man who sold the world, I personally prefer to the David Bowie one. You know. So. That's funny. I was just thinking about the same song as you were talking about. That yeah, that version they do is, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I feel like I'm about to spend the rest of the afternoon listening to all the uh, MTV Unplugged, uh, <laughs> thinking about... Well, like, it, well, in my car, I've been listening to the... Uh, Allison, like I said, this by accident when I recorded with the Stevie Wonder folks yeah. uh, in Cali two weeks ago. Like, I, I mean, the guitar sounds... like the, I mean, it has that same guitar sound. And I'm using this drum loop. I'm listening to it. I'm like, it sounds just like it. And when she's... <laughs> <laughs> and when she had no words, she's just like, I call it mush mouth. She's like, do. I go, wow, if you put a harmony on that, it would sound like Allison Chain's song. And the funny thing is, she has no idea who they are. Never heard one song. <laughs> uh. and, and then I played it for her, and she was like, oh my God, that sounds just like Allison Chain's. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which is uh, really funny. But yeah, the tone, and we weren't going for that. It was, again, one of those happy accidents. It was out of frustration. We were in the control room trying to write. We couldn't. We just put a microphone right in the middle of the room. And she was sitting down in a chair. I sat on a chair on the opposite side of the mic. We let the mic just roll. And we were just going back and forth, back and forth. And um, and we, we found some magic on it. You know, there is like, a, you know, thank God. The, I didn't realize that the engineer kept the, the entire session rolling. Oh, yeah. And then he sent me the the uh, the MP3 of the entire recording. I'm like, wow, there there is a lot of cool stuff. But at the t in the moment, it didn't feel like it. Yeah, just imagine you're hearing you say that. You know, obviously now you can just record the whole session. It's so easy because you know you, you do it all digitally. Just think about if there weren't the concerns for you know buying more tape. Like, what if they recorded like you know every minute the Stones were in the studio for Exile on Main Street? Like all the stuff that was not put down while they were figuring it out. You know what I mean? Right. Like stuff like that. Uh, you know, all the all the Beatles sessions that weren't filmed for like Let It Be or whatever, you know, so uh, that's great to have that as an option uh, in this day and age. Uh, Mike, I could talk to you about music all day and I feel like right. once the album comes out, we're going to have to talk again. Uh, I appreciate your time. and, and Absolutely. You know, I love, for, I love the talking music with you. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I literally could do this another four hours. Uh, Intheoryband.com. That's where you're just going to find everything. And then uh, I know on Facebook, it's In Theory Original. So uh, they can find everything there. Uh, Mike Mostert, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Right, thank you very much. Have, have a great day.
now are Eric Fleischman, AKA known as Eric, the trainer and Michael Kroger, uh, best known from Nickelback. Uh, and they have a project together called main monster, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Welcome to the show. Uh, Eric, I wanted to start off with you. I wanted to know how you came to be so well known as the Hollywood physique expert and uh, some of your clients that were kind enough along the way to be like, Oh yeah, Eric, the trainer, that's my guy. You know, like how many of those happened early on that really helped sort of, uh, you know, build the brand as you would say. Well, I have to tell you that the secret to my success, like fine wine, is years. I have been a trainer for almost 30 years. Okay. Five of those years were in Manhattan, in New York City. And then 25 years, I've been out here in Los Angeles training actors, producers, rock stars, celebrity chefs. And so it's just, it's a matter of time. You know, if, you, if you're enthusiastic and you're great at what you do, people find out. Very much like Nickelback. I mean, those guys write songs and they stay in your head forever. And so... If you're good at something and you do it for a while, people find out. And I've been very, very blessed to work with some terrific talent all over the world. And uh, it's a lot of fun, man. I'm living my dream. Uh, and Michael, as Eric mentioned, uh, obviously you're a part of Nickelback. And uh, the I, I, I did do uh, some research. I'm like, oh yeah, they've been around 15, 20 years. And I'm like, nope, 25 years. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I just, you know, it, it's, uh, it's crazy when you think about in, in some ways, in my mind, like Nickelback, Nickelback is like a newer band, but uh, clearly it's not. It's no. just the way that it's the way that I look at it. And uh, I'm always apprehensive when I get my facts from Wikipedia, but I just always assumed that the name Nickelback was like a slang for like a nickel bag talking about like marijuana. But is it true that you worked at Starbucks and you would say, here's your Nickelback? That is indeed the truth. That is the that is the fact of the matter. Yes. I think that uh, I think that that's such a nicer, more wholesome answer than the one I had in my head. You know, yeah. it's it's up for interpretation, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, you uh, are a part of this huge band and uh, uh, obviously you have this project you're working on with Eric. Uh, so, Michael, let me ask you how you got to know Eric and how how you became involved in the project that is known as Main Monster. Well, it, it all goes back to the day when I, I met Eric on the set of uh, Celebrity Sweat in Chicago backstage at, at a, a tour date that we were on. Uh, he, uh, he, he came to interview me and uh, I was kind of uh, at a low point in my, in my physicality. I was injured and probably having a few too many drinks and uh, um, not really living my best life. But um, when we, fin we finished the show, you know, we did the show with, with, with Eric and with Billy Blanks and we had a great time. And uh, they asked me where I lived and I said, I lived in LA and, and they said, well, that's where Eric's, Eric's gym is in LA. So you should come and you should come and train with us. Uh, you know, and, and I've been training there ever since <laughs> pretty much. And, you know, with Eric and, and all the other friends that we train with, just the most the greatest people, so nice. And, and everybody's just a really, really cool uh, a group to be around, you know, and, and uh, we, everybody supports everybody else and cheers for everybody else. And, and it's, it's really a family that, you know, he's created there. It, it's a, a really tight knit group. And, and, you know, there are all kinds of actors and musicians in there. And, um, you know, there was just one day when, you know, we were talking about music and he said something about, you know, writing and recording his own own music. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. You know, and he said, yeah, and we got all these, all these other, you know, musicians that, you know, could could play on it. I said, yeah, there's there's lots of really good musicians in, in the gym that we train with and friends with. And he said, 
I'm looking for you to play the bass though. And I said, Oh, of course, you know, every, everything he's, <laughs> everything he's asked me to do, I, I'll, I'll do it because he would never do anything to hurt me. And every, everything Eric does, you know, or, or everything Eric asks me to do is, is always makes me better. Uh, and uh, I want to uh, talk more about, uh, you know, other musicians that are participating uh, in the band, but uh, Eric and I were talking before we started recording uh, about how you have your gym in Hollywood, but unlike a lot of gyms in, in uh, Los Angeles in particular, because I know like in Orange County and other places not too far from here, gyms are open, at least at partial capacity, but here in Los Angeles, uh, still closed for indoors, but you're able to operate because uh, you have a, a large outdoor section, right, Eric? Yes, yes, it's it's a godsend. You know, when we originally designed the gym, we never knew that the outdoor section, in fact, would be utilized so much during this COVID year. So, you know, it was it was an amenity. It was like an add-on. It was kind of cool to have an indoor-outdoor facility, sort of a, an old-school Muscle Beach feel. But now we actually live and die by that outside area. So it's great. You know, our dumbbells go up to 185, Christian. So if you want to come by and do some curls, you're welcome to, baby. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that, uh, if, uh, if I had, uh, two clones of myself and we all tried to lift 185 pound dumbbell at the same time, we would, uh, we would probably all fall over, but I uh, might take you up on that because that's it's funny because, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my gym is a big chain gym and, uh, they're just like, now nah, we're not going to do anything outside. They don't have anything set up outdoors. You know, it's uh, over by the Burbank airport. They, you know, they're just like, yeah, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a while. And, uh, you know, I think that during, you know, the pandemic, it's very easy for fitness to take a back seat because one, we're just, we're, we're told at, or at least at various times, like, don't go outside unless you have to. And, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to try and get anything done. And, uh, having that opportunity, like you're talking about is great. And, you know, it's interesting because you just drive around, you'll see restaurants that you like, didn't even know they had an outside section. And, you know, some of them are investing thousands of dollars to have like nice seats and, and put out like flat screen TVs and all of that. And I was also tell, telling Eric that there's a gym that I drive by sometimes when I have to go into the studio that I work in, in Culver city. And it looks like every day they just drag all the equipment out in the parking lot. And I'm like, well, they can't leave it out overnight. So somebody's then got to take it all back in. So it is interesting, you know, to all of these different ways that people are finding to one survive in from a financial standpoint, but just in, in terms of our health. And I wanted to uh, give Eric a, a moment to talk about some of the things that uh, you were doing. The, uh, one thing that, that jumped out at me is, uh, you know, some of your work with Quest Nutrition, you did this need to feed Mother's Day sing along. And I wanted to uh, give you a minute to talk about that because that sounded interesting. And I think it, I read that it made more than $27,000. Yes. Uh, what happened was uh, my fiance, now wife, we just got married. We were at home watching the national news and we saw these long lines at food banks across the country. These lines were like six or seven hours long. Families, hardworking families waiting in line for food. Now, many of these families never thought they would ever be in a position to need to ask for food. So they were kind of embarrassed to be there. And then sure enough, when they got to the front of the line after waiting six or seven hours, there was no, there was no food left. And so it was heartbreaking for us. We knew we, we needed to do something. And uh, you know, it was one of those things where you see an injustice and you think to yourself, not on my watch, I'm gonna to try to do something about it. So I started the very next morning making some phone calls to some really cool musicians, including Nickelback, including Mike. And I asked them, I said, look, if I create a platform for us to do some charity work, would you step up and would you uh, be willing to play with us? And the best thing that ever happened to me was Nickelback said yes. 
they accepted and they became the anchor act. So Nickelback headlined that Mother's Day need to feed. And in one day we raised enough to buy 270,000 meals for needy families, just with the artists that we had access to in and around Hollywood. It was a blast. It was one of the best days of my life. Yeah, and I mean, obviously that that feels good. I'm sure during during anything, but especially you know, look, I saw the same things you did, and and uh, it it wasn't just in one or two spots. You saw all over the country, like you said, it was hours and hours worth of lines of uh, people waiting. So that's great to instead of like, hey, you know what, somebody should do, somebody should do a fundraiser. Yeah. You guys actually did it. Now, uh, Michael, was this a, a year that uh, Nickelback were going to be a, a little bit less busy, or were there big plans for 2020 that had to be backburned? Huge plans. Uh, we we had a, a you know a North American tour booked uh, over fifty dates. Uh, I would be out there now still. Um, you know we were starting in the, the end of May, <clears throat> then we were going. You know just it was it was a huge tour, one of the bigger ones we've ever done. It was all booked and lined up, and and we uh, it just looked like it was not going to be possible. Like it just wasn't going to happen. So we had to kind of give everybody their money back, and you know figure it out the key that i heard there that i think is is the nice thing to hear is that you gave people's money back because uh we don't need to name names of any uh large tours Uh, a lot of them are going out of their way to hold on to your money for another year or possibly even longer uh and you know there there's uh, all these rules about like how you can get your money back in the space of like a half an hour a half an hour uh 30 days i had the number 30 in my head uh, eric and then it's uh, I, I said half <laughs> imagine if you only had 30 30 minutes to get your refund for your concert tickets you know so you hear about some of that stuff and uh it was great to hear though that uh, that nickelback is one of those bands that uh, would give you your money back you know so uh it's uh, it's always worth uh, giving credit to the bands that said it's just not going to happen, uh, you know, because, yeah, you bought the tickets before you'll buy them again. And uh, so obviously, Michael, you have those kind of plans that uh, that, you know, get uh, get squashed, unfortunately. So something like this comes along that must uh, must be nice. Somebody obviously, you know, Eric. So the idea of hanging out and doing this must have uh, been very welcome at the time that it came up. Right. For sure. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's been a, a welcome thing to to have another another focus, uh, you know, something else that I can do uh, to just keep myself busy because Nickelback. Uh, uh, the other unfortunate thing is the rest of the guys all live in Canada. So I can't even really get even get together with them, you know, it, it personally because you know the borders closed, and, you know. So if I go up there, I have to uh, quarantine um, for a minimum of fourteen days under penalty of death. Holy crap! They're not kidding around with the uh, with the laws on that. You know, it's like seventy five thousand dollar fine and maybe even jail time if they catch you not properly quarantining. It's pretty intense. So. Um, I'll be waiting around down here in LA until, you know, they the give the yeah. all clear and then we'll, uh, then we'll get back together and, and work in person, you know, but we, we, nowadays it's easy to do, you know, remote things, recording remotely and, and all that stuff. So we'll, we'll do what we can that way too. Yeah. You know, when it comes to that sort of uh, very strict quarantine, it is interesting because one of the places that seems to have been really most strict about it is Hawaii. And you always think about Hawaii as so laid back, but it's like, I, you know, you'll read stories throughout the past few months that uh, somebody who got there, you know, posted uh, like on Instagram that they're at the beach and then they get fined like a few thousand dollars. And I don't think they give you jail time. I don't, I don't know if, if Hawaii went that far, but uh, I think they just take you to the airport. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. You, back, you know, yeah. But it's, it, um, and Hawaii is very much a microcosm. I lived there for 12 years before I moved okay. to Los Angeles. And, and um, 
they, they have to be much more careful with the, the biodiversity in Hawaii uh, than we do. It, it, they can literally lock the door on the state and, you know, control, like they still don't have rabies there. You know, they, wow. they, don't, they don't have snakes there. You know, they, they're, they're really, really careful about what, you know, what they let happen or come to, to those shores and as they have to be, it's kind of its own little world, right? So they have to be really careful because an outbreak is so easy there, so easy. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I didn't even uh, realize that about uh, snakes or rabies. So uh, that yeah. makes sense that, you know, it makes, a, it makes a lot more sense that, uh, you know, a bunch of mainland tourists uh, coming over and coughing on everything uh, that I can see why they would, they would be concerned. Uh, all right. So Eric, let's talk about putting together uh, the main band that is uh, Main Monster. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other musicians, but for the song that I've heard, uh, which I think is a great song, very catchy, called I'm Yours, uh, talk about, uh, obviously, you're there, Michael's there. Who else is a part of uh, Main Monster? You know, um, we, I worked with a producer who's known as Wolves. He's a fantastic guy. He's got a studio in Hollywood, and he really left it open for me to bring in any of my friends to play on it. So Mike is playing bass, which is why the song sounds so cool. Uh, I wrote the song and I'm singing in it. My son, believe it or not, my son sings the background vocals. He and I uh, have a great relationship and we play music together sort of as a father son. It's one of the ways that we connect besides working out. And, uh, and when he sings, he kind of sounds like me, which is cool. So he sang the background vocals with me. And uh, then a guy named Aviv who played drums in Air Supply for years and years played the drums. Now he's used to be, you know, he's used to playing like, I'm all out of love, I'm so <laughs> lost. So to get a chance to play with someone like Mike Nickelback in a rock song, like he jumped at the opportunity. And then a, a German guitar player named Jerg, who formerly was in a band called Lifehouse. They had a huge hit with Hanging By A Moment. Oh sure, yeah, um, I remember them, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so he played guitar and it just, I love the way it came out. The funny thing is when you're a novice musician like I am, because I'm a fitness guy that plays music because I love it. I'm not, a, I'm not like a full-fledged musician. So when a guy like me plays music surrounding himself with great pro players, it's like, it's like playing basketball with NBA players. It just makes you look good. And it's so fun. And, and I genuinely have a great relationship with each of these guys and I respect and love them. So we had a great time and it was really, it was a very organic process. Uh, and sort of tying into the uh, charitable efforts we mentioned earlier, uh, the uh, the proceeds from the this single, I'm Yours, will go towards Feeding America. So, uh, and uh, what's the best way for people to find out about the the band and to get the song? Is it your personal website? I I, uh, I, I meant to try to find one for the band, but I, I didn't see that in my notes. So do they just go to uh, to your personal Eric the Trainer website or where do they find that? No, no, the easiest way to find Maine Monster, which is a brand new band, um, is because uh, I'm from Maine. So that's the people when I go back home to the state, I'm gigantic in Maine. People in Maine are pretty small. So <laughs> when I walk back there, I feel like Paul Bunyan. Um, the best way to find it is Apple Music or Spotify, any of the streaming platforms. If you type in Maine Monster, the name of the song is I'm Yours. 100% of the proceeds goes to charity. We're really proud of it and we hope people like it. Yeah, look, I think that uh, 100% of the proceeds is what you like to hear every once in a while. Look, every little bit helps, but sometimes when you hear somebody's doing like 20%, you're like, okay, but what about the rest? So I like right. to hear that it's all of it. Uh, now, I don't, obviously you're a fitness guy, so you, I'm sure you eat well, but as somebody from Maine, and, and I don't know if you, if you partake personally at the moment, but have you, uh, have you ever found a lobster roll on the West Coast that compares to one in Maine? 
I definitely have. There's a lobster roll that I had that was so delicious and so amazing. It was from a company called Cousins Maine Lobster. And it turns out that those cousins are from Maine and the lobster is flown in from Maine all the time because uh, I, they knew that I was from Maine. So they gave it to me and I tried it and I said, this is amazing. This is, this is, this lobster tastes familiar. And they're like, we're all from Maine. <laughs> there aren't a lot of us. Listen, when you're, when you live in Hollywood, like I do, uh, there are not a lot of Mainers out here. That's it's kind of like me, Anna Kendrick, uh, <laughs> Stephen King, uh, Judd yeah. Nelson. There's not a lot of us out here, so it's kind of cool to see other Mainers. There's not a lot of states where, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the whole state has the same area code. You know what I mean? They didn't need to divide it up. <laughs> that's right. Wow. That's yeah. right. And actually, to, to add on to that, not only does the state have one area code, but every time I leave the state, the Jewish population goes down 100%. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, and that's just very selfish. Uh, just want, um, I, you know, cause I, I mean, I, I grew up in New York, so it's a, uh, you know, lobster roll was always something that I, I would have to be, you know, deep in new England to get. And probably the best one I ever had was when I went to Maine for a wedding. So, uh, I'm going to file that away and, uh, I'll let you know <laughs> once I've had one of those cousins ones, but, uh, in terms of, uh, other musicians that are involved in future recordings that are going to come out, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, there are two great voices, uh, John Oates who I have uh, had the opportunity to interview. He's always a great guy, just very funny, very down to earth. And uh, Arnel Pineda, who I think most people at this point know, you know, sort of like what I was talking about, Nickelback being a new band. Uh, he's the new singer of Journey, but he's been around for like almost 20 years at this point. And uh, I saw them about two years ago. They did a co-headline tour with Def Leppard. And all the Journey songs are great. But then just watching this guy run around the stage, you're just like, and, and, you know, like to have that kind of energy and be able to hit those Steve Perry notes. I, I don't know how anybody does it. So talk about working with uh, those guys and, uh, you know, about the songs that we'll be able to hear down the road from them. Well, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because our second single comes out in about a month and it's called Girl Like You. And actually our Nell from Journey sings with me on the chorus. It is a huge chorus. It's that, it's that sort of big Journey sound that you love so much but it's got a sort of a modern rock take on it. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear it. Working with Arnell was a blast. I was actually on that tour training Def Leppard and I got to know the guys in Journey and uh, started training some of those guys on tour also. That was a great tour. The Journey Def Leppard tour was a blast. I loved being the trainer on that tour. And uh, I'm so excited to, for everyone to hear the song that we're releasing in about a month with Arnell. And then the John Oates song, we haven't even recorded yet, but he's already said to me, I'm in, baby. I love John Oates. He's one of my favorites. And uh, he and I get along so well. He's an incredible musician. And I'm just excited to collaborate with my favorite musicians in the world. I'm literally living my dreams. John Oates is a, obviously a great musician, uh, seems like a nice guy, but he's also got, because of you know where he spends a lot of his, his time, I don't know about still, but he lived in Colorado. He was like neighbors with Hunter S. Thompson. So the thing that you don't expect is for John Oates to have amazing Hunter S. Thompson stories, which he does. Wow. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, well, so Michael, now actually working on these things, you know, Eric was kind of alluding to it. Is it... Uh, home studio or did you guys, were you guys able to get together and, and perform? Were you able to work with people you'd never actually had the chance to work with before? Or was it all by yourself? Uh, you know, maybe in, even in the room you're in right now. Yeah, our guy, our guy uh, Wolves there, he, he has a studio, it's just down the street from my house. And you know, yeah, I just throw the mask on and uh, take a couple pieces of gear over there and just and just uh, throw it down. And Eric would be there for, uh, for uh, uh, um, 
quality control, make sure I did it right. And, and if there's anything I did that was, was needed to be changed, he could say right then. And uh, yeah, it was really, really great, really easy too. You know, um, he's, you know, when, when you're working with people that are, that are pros, it, it's, it's very easy to, to do. It, you know, it's not, not, uh, not difficult at all. It was, it was just fun. We, we I just started playing, you know, on, on each song, when I would go in to play the song, we'd just start playing and, and I would play for a while, play for a while. And then, and then in the end, you know, it'd just be like, okay, we got it. And be like, oh, really? <laughs> I got to go now? <laughs> Cause I was just having fun. And, you know, we, we were just, it was more about the conversation even between the takes really, you know, it was just a blast. Well, yeah, because you're talking about actually going into the studio, uh, but, you know, e even at this point, here we are at the beginning of October, you know, we're about seven months into, you know, uh, obviously uh, staying at home as much as possible. So actually having a reason to go out, you know, and not just, I want to take a drive, I want to take a walk. It's like, oh, I actually have like something to do. And yeah. You know, uh, so just like, wait, no, no, I don't need to go back to my house. I've, I've seen enough of my house, you yeah. know, but, and obviously for somebody who's usually out on tour, probably at first you're like, oh, this is great. I'm home. But uh, it, it probably didn't last that long where you're just like, oh, it would probably be nice to play a show or two for, you know, a, a it's kind of gone full circle, you know, in, in, uh, in the beginning, I was like, oh, wow, it's so nice to be home. And then, yeah, I got to that point that you're talking about it. You know, I, I've never been home this long, like ever, you know, since, <laughs> since I left my, my mom's house, I've never been home this much and, in, in one year. And, and then now I, I've come back around and I'm just enjoying it so much, you know, I'm getting to see my, my wife and my kids and my dogs and, you know, like it's, it's really special, you know, it's a special time. My kids are older, so they're getting ready to fly the coop anyway. So this is sort of like last chance, you know, complain <laughs> like about them not putting their dishes away and stuff. Yeah, this is like, they're literally starting to flap their wings and, and leave the coop as you're saying, but then you pull Very them much. down like, nope, gotta stay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness yeah. they're not quite ready to go. My uh, my son is five and my daughter's two, and uh, yeah. we're fortunate that they have uh, preschools that uh, have opened in a very socially distant way, really spaced out. Uh, but that first day back, uh, they haven't ever run away from me faster. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're like, oh my god! Finally, I don't have to be with him anymore. You know, <laughs> like oh my god, my friends. Yes, I remember. I remember People what this I was. like. Yes. Yeah. Like, look, a slide that I can actually go down. Oh yeah. my god, that's great. Good. Yeah. So uh, it, it is interesting because, you know, when you do go into a place to work, like, I, I don't know, I mean, for me, I, I was talking to Eric beforehand, just working in radio slash podcasting. The first time I went into a studio, it was like very nerve wracking. And all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, but you know what? It's not that different. It's like, everybody's far enough away. You already have people behind the glass and I'm sure recording studios that way too. So it's like, it's already a fairly distant setup, that kind of a studio. So once, once your heart stops racing, you're like, oh, it's actually it is kind of nice to get out of the house as long as uh, you know you're able to be safe about it. So, what are the uh, the long term plans for Main Monster? You're talking about a few songs coming out uh, in the near future, uh, Eric. Uh, will it come out as an album or just a couple of songs and see where it goes? What's the what's the big picture plan? I think what's going to happen is we're going to release a series of singles initially, uh, featuring musicians that I admire and love. Uh, great collaborations. And then a full album will follow for sure. And uh, I mean, you've already, you know, you've already got Arnell, you've got uh, John Oates. Uh, is there, is there like a little uh, legal pad of other names that you haven't uh, reached out to yet? Some uh, like, oh, I know this person. I bet they'd be good for something. 
Yeah, you know, I just I go back into my old CD collection, which my son initially stole from me. I was like, where did all my CDs go? Actually, he put them in his room. Um, and I sort of look through all of the major influences that's been the soundtrack of my life. And I, I think to myself, wouldn't it be amazing to collaborate with them? And I just give them a call. You know, working in the fitness industry, I develop personal relationships with a lot of incredible artists. So I don't need to ask their manager or their agent. I just call them and I say, hey, I'm recording this song and I'd love for you to join me. And they haven't said no yet. So we're, we're rocking. Yeah. And I think having the personal relationship uh, certainly goes a long way because you don't have, you know, any, any intermediaries involved who, you know, for whatever reason might be like, no, 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 they're not interested in it, but then they never find out, you know, I mean, when it, you know, on a, on a much smaller level, when it comes to trying to book guests for shows that, uh, that I've worked on, it's like, uh, they, they, it's just like, if only they knew that, uh, yeah. that, that my boss wanted to talk to them, they would. They don't, they don't always know. No. Yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't always know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it could be like years and be like, what do you mean? I could have done that main monster record with you. Why didn't you ask? And it's like, Oh, I asked your people, you know, so <laughs> have that, uh, you know, Eric, something you were talking about, I just wanted to, uh, before we wind up, I thought it was interesting. You talked about uh, actually going out on that tour with Def Leppard. Uh, and uh, obviously look, those guys are great. And I'm sure uh, Phil Collin probably didn't need any help keeping in shape uh, because like, you'll hear him talk about, his cheat day, he has like four tortilla chips, you know, and <laughs> I don't, I don't think that guy's worn a shirt since 1986, you know, but uh, obviously look, you know, look, they're not, they're not getting any younger. So obviously it's important to them. Do you find that there's actually a, a, a big need for that of just like, yeah, I could follow a regimen, but if somebody comes out on the road with me, I'm actually going to stick to it. Do you find that that's uh, very frequently the case? Yeah, my mission, when I go on tour with a band, my mission is to control three things, their exercise, their diet, and their sleep, because it's a grueling life out on the road, as Mike will tell you. I mean, it's show after show. It's a very physical thing. If you're not eating the right food to fuel your body, if you're not sleeping well, you'll break down within a few days or weeks. And that's a disaster, because some of these tours are major, major events where it goes on, like he said, for 50 dates. So it's always helpful to have someone like me on the road in a happy and friendly way to work out with you every day to encourage you to eat healthy foods at craft services. And after the show's over, take a shower and go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I was uh, mentioning to you before we started that uh, I, I was sent a little compilation, like a, some YouTube clips of uh, things you've done. And one of the things that you were really hitting on there is the importance of getting good sleep. Obviously, all of it's important, but just how important that is. And, uh, I, you know, I mentioned I have two small kids, so uh, getting enough sleep very rarely happens. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, and it's always like the night that I'm like, ah, I'll stay up till midnight. That's when they wake up like, you know, at 4.30. So uh, oh. just uh, take a quick moment about why it's so important and just in general, uh, what the positive impacts are in say getting just, one, you know, getting one extra hour of sleep for maybe somebody who tries to cram in too much at night. And I'm talking about myself. Well, the greatest thing about sleep is that sleep is the only time the body can change. All physical transformation occurs exclusively during slumber. So even if you worked out with me, Eric, the trainer here in Hollywood, even if we had Wolfgang Puck, the chef, make the food for you exactly in the nutritional way that you needed it, your body would not change and your mind would not be renewed without sleep. 
Sleep is to the body what an oven is to cookie dough. It's the place where all the transformation occurs. And so I can't tell you how important sleep is. In addition to that, the hours before midnight that you're actually asleep are worth almost twice as much as the hours after midnight. So the, the Christian that goes to bed at 10 o'clock and wakes up at six is better looking and stronger than the Christian that goes to bed at midnight and wakes up at eight. And I like that Christian. Yeah, uh, believe me, I like I, I like the one that goes to bed at 9 p.m. You know, I like him even better. Uh, and unfortunately, the the me that falls asleep at 9 p.m., it's usually uh, me passed out on one couch. My wife passed out on the other because we're like, oh, uh, the uh, Fargo started. Let's watch the season premiere of Fargo. And then five minutes in, we're both snoring. So that's usually how I fall asleep. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough because, uh, you know, sometimes I have a lot of uh, work for my day job to get done. And like last night I laid down, it was one thirty, and I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted, but that I couldn't fall asleep, you know, because it was just, I'd, I'd sort of artificially kept myself awake for, for so long. And I didn't even have like coffee or anything. Just like my brain was like, no, we're up. What are you doing? <laughs> this isn't the time to sleep. So uh, anyway, well, I appreciate uh, all that insight and I'm really looking forward to hearing more uh, from, uh, from the band, from Main Monster. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, so, Eric, where do people find you in general? Uh, just, uh, you know, if they want to hear more about your fitness and or if they live here in L.A. and uh, they want to actually find somewhere where they can exercise. You know, if the best way to contact me is on social media at Eric the Trainer or they can go to EricTheTrainer.com. And uh, Michael, are you a social media guy or uh, would you rather just be left alone when you're not out on tour? I know I'm a social media. I, I just I play with Instagram a little bit, and and uh, and I have an Instagram account. It's uh, what is it? Michael underscore Kruger five five five. You know that's that's me on Instagram, but I, I don't take it very seriously. I I'm not you know like I'm not doing like the walking up the steps of the rented private jet pretend, pretending it's mine or whatever. You know I, I, that's <laughs> not really I'm not really much poser. So it's pretty real, you know, I take pictures yeah. of myself at like the dentist's office and stuff. <laughs> hey, and uh, going to the dentist office these days, it's like a, it's like a whole different, uh, different approach than it was a, a year ago. You know, it's almost like if either of you saw the uh, HBO miniseries about Chernobyl, they had like these guys who could go run up to the roof and you could only be up there for 90 seconds. So it's like, you know, you have these weird like face attachments to go to the dentist and, you know, my actual dentist did my teeth cleaning and not the hygienist. I'm like, what, what, what is all this? You know? And it's like, they've got the welder's masks. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And you know what I like about Instagram is that it's just, it's just pictures. And uh, I think that it, it's a, it's a much more laid back way to keep in touch with people. Twitter is uh, it, it's very easy. Look, there's a lot of things to speak out on these days and not that people don't do it on Instagram, but sometimes it's like, Oh, look, this person has a dog. Oh my God. They went to the water park with their kids pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I, find, so, I find Instagram to be a much more positive place than Twitter. Yeah. Well, I deleted uh, Twitter a while back. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I would I, ruin my own day. You know, <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. Do no, definitely. I was uh, telling Eric before we started, I worked for the comedian Dennis Miller and uh, yeah. I keep an eye on some of his social media and it's not even about me and you just read stuff and you're like, Oh man, they were talking about my boss and it ruined my day. Oh, you know, I wasn't even talking about stuff about us that bothered me. It was just, I would read well, anything, you know, like yeah. people's idea of, you know, like a, a, a new Netflix series could be enough to, to end, you know, my good day. Just, yeah. it, it just seems to be such a repository of negativity that I just, 
you know yeah if i read i would never read the stuff that they say about us like my band because that's of course going to ruin my day but uh but the, <laughs> other, the, the other you know the other things it's just it seems like everything's just uh everybody wants to have their voice heard which is i guess in some way good yeah well it's i, I guess it's uh it's good that everybody's able to have their voice heard but uh good for you that you don't need to listen to all of it you know i think that that's probably, uh, probably yeah. the right approach well guys i really appreciate uh, getting the chance to chat with you and uh, looking forward to to more music and uh you know hopefully uh catching up maybe in person one day maybe will there ever be main monster shows you think eric uh, if if everybody's uh, around you could actually perform oh i love that. i would I would love it. I think we'd have a great time. And I can tell you that we, we have a real organic friendship between all of us as musicians. So I'm sure the music would come out pretty fun. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that. And uh, I appreciate both of your times. And uh, I, I will hopefully get a chance to catch up with you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, Thanks Mike. very much, Christian. Thank you to all of my guests. Thanks to all of you for listening and being a part of this celebration of 404 episodes. And hope you stick around for the next 404, starting next time on the podcast. I made a fortune in LA. I'm on the television night and day. just uh, telling Eric before we started uh, I have not my gym is closed and they don't have any equipment out in the parking lot but uh... and lo behold I'm yours